Welcome to the Family Vision Media, Stacy on the Right podcast, where I'm so excited to have with me today, Lindsay Fifield. She's a conservative digital strategist. She and I have been buddies for years. I used to see her every time I would arrive in DC. I would always plan a visit to Heritage and it would be Lindsay and then also Jay Carafano and so many others. I feel like it's like an extended family for me there. And now I have Lindsay with me here on the podcast. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Stacey. I'm so excited to be here. I can't believe it's my first time. I feel like I talked to you or engaged with you so much online, and I do see you so much <laughs> in D.C. Like I said, like you said, Heritage definitely does have that family feel. There's so many people there that just feel like brothers and sisters. Yeah, I, I, I almost feel like I haven't been to D.C. if I don't get to stop into your office. I, I'm like, I got to go to Union Station. I got to stop by Heritage. I got to stop by Project 21. And so um, now you're going to be coming back and talking to us about your latest project because you have something exciting in the works. But we actually invited you to join us today because you're a part of this new, in my mind, it's a revolution because my husband and I have kids who are college age. And so I'm looking at people like you, Lindsay, who I've known for years in the the policy space and politics mm -hmm. and, and, and governance and all of these different areas. And you've always been such a power player there. But now you're a power player in another arena because you're a mom and a wife and you speak about these things very openly on your social media. And I feel like, and you, you actually coined this term yourself as well, you're an evangelical for family, an evangelical for momhood and wifehood and all of the things that have kind of gone out of vogue with the advent of being woke. So talk to us a little bit about that. Like, why, why do you feel like you need to tell other people to take the path you've taken? Well, I think that we just need to be more evangelical about sharing how much we love being parents. I feel like that's something that you don't see a lot of. If you're scrolling on Instagram and you're following a lot of influencers and mommy bloggers and people who want to give you advice about raising your children, you see a lot of women complaining about it. You see a lot of women trying to normalize, um, oh, the, the dark side of motherhood or maybe even like being ugly about having children or how hard it is. And I think that's another reason that I try to evangelize being a stay-at-home mom, um, homeschooling and, and being present for your children as you're raising them and maybe not, uh, maybe making that, that choice for yourself. I, I do want women to have choices. I want families to make the best decisions for them. But I think one way that you can limit a lot of that anxiety and limit a lot of those frustrations with work-life balance is to be at home with your children as much as possible. I found that that brought my stress level way down um, after leaving Heritage and going remote last month. Um, it's just been, I'm, I'm actually working more than ever. I'm like actually still working just as many hours as I was before. But now that I'm able to do it at home with, with my family, it just feels like my time has doubled, but also the time is more intentional and meaningful because I have this, this, you know, important task of raising um, the next generation, which I only have one. I'm only getting started. So a lot of parents that have multiple children or older children still like, you're just getting started. Like, what do you know about motherhood? And I'm like, oh, come oh, on. Yeah, yeah. <gasps> so you get to talk. I, so this is the thing that I thought, and, and I know this is a normal thing. You have the rush of hormones after you have a baby and you feel like superwoman for about a month. And then you begin to really settle down into mothering and the baby begins to grow and look more like a little person. And then you start to realize how much you don't know and how much more there is for you to learn. But it doesn't change the fact that you've entered into a new realm before you were an aunt or someone's babysitter or you were a friend. Now mm -hmm. you're someone's mom. And it's a totally different, uh, uh, it's, it's indescribable. It really is this unique situation. 
And so when we're speaking about this culturally and in the public policy space, um, there have been a lot of really nasty discussions. You mentioned it a little bit just now. I've noticed those reels on Instagram. I'm not so much on TikTok, oh, yeah. but I watch a lot of reels. And there is a kind of a niche where people feel comfortable. They actually are trying to make women feel comfortable in expressing uh, the negative aspects of motherhood. And I understand like the impetus for that. You want people to be real and honest. But I don't know, Lindsay, I don't, I don't have a lot of success in like, let's say weight loss. Mm-hmm. When I tell myself I'm overweight, I'm, you know, I'm not doing a good job with my food. If I focus on the negative aspects of where I am in my weight loss journey, it doesn't facilitate weight loss. I, but if I say to myself every day, you're losing weight and you're making great choices to, you know, accomplish your goals and you're not dieting, you're actually eating for health. When I say those things to myself, even if it's mentally, if I just have that mindset, I see the scale moving because my body is responding to the positive inputs. Mm. And it's not so much that I'm working out an hour every day or doing three hours of some, you know, strange new like CrossFit thing. It's just, I make better choices when I speak positively to myself. And so I, I don't know, what do you make of this trend of people saying negative things about their kids, saying negative things about being a mom. Do, do you think And their helpful? husbands. I hear a lot yeah. of bad talk. About, I really yeah. get that. I think makes me the maddest when you hear that, that normalization of moms complaining about their husbands is that they're these, mm-hmm. they're uh, they're They call them their mother-in-law's child. Like as, and yeah. it, that to me is so insulting. And it's also like, yeah. imagine if husbands spoke about their wives, the way that wives speak about their husbands online, they would be called every name in the book. And maybe even <laughs> with good reason, because we'd recognize how mean and wrong it is for them to talk about us that way. And they don't, they don't say those things about us, but we talk about them like they're children and then wonder why they're not happy or why they're not helping more or not as super excited to like help their wives out. Uh, so I really don't <laughs> like that culture of, of uh, hitting down on uh, your husband and bad mouthing your husband. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm certainly not a perfect wife and I have to apologize to my husband all the time if I say something to him that's unkind, but I'm certainly not going to do that on the internet. So I think there's a culture of, you don't want to be, you know, we're, we're swinging back. The pendulum is swinging back from that culture of like, oh, everything's perfect. Everything's fine. Everything's beautiful. Social media, which I think mm-hmm. you was like, to your point, not maybe great that we, it's like, there's some deception behind that. We should maybe be a little bit unvarnished and not be so polished and maybe show a little bit of behind the scenes. Like things are not, you know, this is real life, that kind of thing. But I think we've swung too far to now we're like glorifying having messy houses and being messes and being, you know, not an aspirational person who has a purpose driven life or, or, or is, you know, someone that you'd want to be like. And I like following people who are doing tough things and who, you know, know things are not always perfect, but and no parenthood is not this straight linear line for everybody, um, but who are trying. Those are the people that I want to surround myself with that I, you know, None of us are doing a perfect job at any of this, but I think that it's it's the intentionality that you put behind it. And so you have a lot of women who maybe feel like they also got sold a bill of goods about, and I think that's really where this comes down is you have this woke culture of people saying, you shouldn't have children, it's bad for the planet, or maybe you only have one child, or uh, even just normalizing being child-free is the, the child-free culture. Uh, so just... a And I think that you have a lot of women who are also working full time. They're out of the house. They're stressed, commuting back and forth, trying to do it all. And that is actually a heavy burden that we have put on families in this country that we should 
correct. Um, but this, the problem isn't the baby. The problem is the work and the culture of that work. And that's what we need to be addressing, not we yeah, have less babies. I agree, Lindsay. And I think, you know, so when you say sold a bill of goods, I think there's nothing worse than if you say as a young woman, you know, you've gotten a college education or some kind of training, whatever you're doing, maybe you're a jack of all trades and you came straight out of high school and hit the ground running. And you're at a place in your career where you're, you're kind of at a crossroads. You can pour more of your energy into that career and kind of see some real success, like, you know, maybe be a director, executive director or senior vice president, or you can, you know, agree with your husband that you're going to start a family and that means slowing your career down. And so for women, you know, we have this horrible, it's age is not kind to us. We have to wear makeup. I mean, it's, it, you know, life on earth for women, it's, it's not as easy as it is for the men. Um, that the reason that they're like perpetually, they have that childlike attitude about their lives is they don't have to wear makeup. I really believe that's what it is. That's what keeps them so youthful. They don't have to wear makeup. They don't have to match makeup to their skin tone. They don't have to change makeups when they go from this decade to the next. And when they wake up in the morning, if they wash their face, they look great. I mean, it's, it's just, just imagine our lives, Lindsay, imagine the hours we waste on a yearly the basis. The money. Putting makeup on. I know. And the money. Oh my gosh. Even if you find cheap makeup that works and there is great drugstore options available to us, there's still the issue of having to buy it. You, you are always running out. That's my thing is I always find something I like and then I'm running out of it because I'm using it a lot because it's great. So um, th that being said, if you are at that crossroads and I, I can speak from my own experience, my husband and I sat down and had a conversation about it early in our marriage where we decided that his career would be the primary and mine would not. And I yeah. would be the primary home giver, home homemaker. Um, I would support his career. And then at some later point, and we just, at some later point, it wasn't 10 years in, it wasn't when the kids reached this age. It was just some point in the future, you'll get a chance to do something. And I was thinking to myself, I don't even know what that is. Like, right. so I poured myself into motherhood and supporting him and his career. And it was a great choice for us because it meant that our home was constantly like if that's my full-time job it was constantly the place where not just my husband and the kids but lots of other people wanted to be yeah, so exactly. i was constantly you know holding the other people's kids or driving the other people's kids or running things at their school and so i my skill set never really declined because of that in fact i yeah. really feel like i'm able to do what i do now because i was a stay-at-home mom for so many years and so what would you say, because you're at a place where you had the career first, now you're making a family, you're at home working from home. And so you're, you're at the best of both worlds. I think it's a fantastic trajectory you've been able to carve out, but for a lot of women, they want that senior VP or that president or CEO or that role. But if you take that path, your eggs get old and you can't have kids, you know, having kids in your forties is very difficult. Um, some women can do it genetically. They're just laid out that way. But in children 35, a lot of other things come into play and infertility can be an issue. So what do you recommend to women who are at that crossroads right now, especially coming into Mother's Day? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I love that you just went right to it and just said the quiet part out loud, because I think for a long time, people have been really afraid to like actually have the fertility question because you don't want to offend anybody. You don't want to tell women what to do. I now I'm completely on the same page with you as any, any chance that I get whenever I'm mentoring young women, either from the network of enlightened women or, or elsewhere, 
I used to just try to give career advice and I still do. I love giving technical career advice because I think it is so important. But one reason mm -hmm. that I got into digital communications and worked as hard as I did uh, for many, many years was I knew that I was building up kind of like dividends for the future and I was being really intentional. I picked a career path where I knew that one day in the future I would be able to work remotely if I, you know, plowed a course where it was, you know, digital comms can be done from anywhere. I can work anywhere with a strong Wi-Fi signal and a good laptop. So I think yep. that is the most important thing um, early on to decide in your early 20s, even if you don't have a person in your life yet that you're going to marry, um, to be intentional about what you want your career path to look like so that you can build that life that you want one day and put those pieces in place. Even if it doesn't work out completely in the beginning, I think just setting that goal for yourself and setting that as the foundational principle of the work that you're doing. I mean, DC was a huge culture shock to me when, I mean, I came from Alabama, very conservative upbringing. And then I came to DC and it was, um, I thought it was great because there's there is a culture in DC of if you work really hard and it, you're you come in at like an entry level you the the world is is your oyster you can make of it whatever you want um, and so it's it's sad though I look back on those years when we worked nonstop I really really worked you know. So such long hours, long days, because I didn't have family. I didn't have anyone to go home to. Um, so we were we, we acted like we were curing cancer. but We were really it's just the conservative movement. <laughs> and so I, sometimes I look back on it and I cringe because I'm like, man, I missed a lot of family time, weddings, events, going home for, you know, also didn't make that much money in the beginning of my career. So of course I couldn't just go home, you know, fly home all the time. So I really feel like those were isolating years, but I was proud of the work that I was doing and I worked really, really hard. And so a lot of people think, oh, you know, Lindsay, you probably left Heritage because you became a wife and a mom and it was too hard for you to handle that workload with a baby. And that was not the case. Like, yeah, was I burning myself out? Was I working too much? Absolutely. Um, but it's not the amount of work. Like I said, I'm actually working more and longer hours now. But I think it's about how you prioritize your time and and you really have to put your family first and unapologetically put them first. And I mm -hmm. think that actually projects value of yourself that is so important and actually attractive mm -hmm. to employers because they know you're competent. They know you're reliable. They know your work is good, but they also know that you, you know, have self-respect, but you respect your family and they know that you're not necessarily being always available. doesn't actually mean I used to think that that conveyed so much value that I was the first person to, you know, email back and I would any hour I would be available. And I think actually it conveys a lot of value as you get further in your career to say, no, I'm not available past these hours because I have a baby and I have a family. And so that is one reason that you want to really, really hustle in your early career so that when you do get to that midpoint that you're talking about, that intersection where a lot of people, a lot of women might get scared and think, oh, no, I better aim for the C-suite because I'm told by society that I don't have value as a person if I don't aim right. for the C-suite. Women don't really want the C-suite. The pressure that we have on us to go that direction is, is absurd because we want to nurture, we want to help our husband's careers. That most, most women, that is the path that they, a lot of my friends, of course they, you know, they are, do, do have those aspirations. That's great for them. Uh, many of them already do have children. I think to your point and your, your pathway was great. 
a lot of women are fed this lie that if you don't aim for the C-suite now, it won't be there for you in 10 years. That is a lie. Most of the women that I know who are in leadership have, like you, adult children. But we're told like, oh, no, you can't back out of the workforce for a few years or then you, it's, it's so hard to come back in. Maybe that was true decades ago. I do not see that being true now. In fact, like yeah. you said, I think that you're even more valuable because people know you have experience. You've raised children. If you can raise children, you can probably manage an office full of, you know, navigate the politics. Lindsay, I have to say, and I'm so glad that you kind of also shared how you did in the beginning um, kind of, it's it's very traditional, actually. It's it's kind of like a story that you share with many, many people who've worked, not just in comms, but anything to do with, po with politics or policy or governance. In the beginning, it's basically a slog. You're, you're like basically in serfdom, you're working 24 seven, but you're single and it's, you know, you have a roommate, you're, it's, it's not a big deal. You know, you're eating ramen or you're eating whatever your boss told you to pick them up and it's fine. Um, but there is, there is this thing that we're told as women, we were to be perpetually young, we're to be perpetually girly, but also in charge. We're supposed to be the boss, but never bossy. There's, there's these like, um, there's these silos that we're supposed to operate in. But then if you get outside of them, it's like, oh, well, you're not, you're not following the path. But what I was encouraged to do was to basically chart my own path. And I I'll never forget it. I was temping. So I have kids in school mm -hmm. all day. And I took on this, I don't even remember why I, I, like, why was I even doing this? But I was temping and I ended up at this firm and I was working with this woman who she was their events planner. So it's a firm, but they have these events and I was assisting her with them. So it's like two, two mornings a week. And she really loved having me there because I was so detail oriented. So for those four hours, twice a week, I would get everything she had going on, every scrap of paper, everything would be scanned in. And, you know, it was, it was a whole lot of stuff that she basically had no mental bandwidth to deal with. And I would come in and handle it twice a week. So one day I'm in there and I was, uh, I was sitting, I was actually sitting down. I went to the copier and I came back and their HR director said, Hey, Stacy, come in and chat with me for a minute. So I go in the office with her and I sit down and she asked me about myself. And I told her, you know, basically I'm a stay at home mom, but um, my kids are in school. So I'm just kind of temping just to get out of the house and to kind of, you know, do something. And this is before I was doing anything with politics. And so um, she said, oh, I think that's fun. She said, you never know why, what might come of it. She said, let me tell you a story. And she starts talking about herself. And she was in her 60s at the time. And she's their HR director there. But she said, I took this job two years ago. And before that, I'd been a stay-at-home mom for 20 years. And I'm like, what? 20 years stay-at-home mom? She said, yeah. And then uh, I was working with a friend, a, a friend of mine, like a neighbor, said, can you help me out? And I was helping her out from home. And then she said, would you please come in? I can't, I need you in the office to help me with this because it's too much work, me trying to deal with you at home. So she comes into the office for a couple of days a week and she helps. And before you know it, she's the deputy HR director. And then after that, the HR director, because she learned the job from this lady who then went on to retire and handed the job off to her. And she couldn't be more uh, satisfied with it because her main goal in life was to raise their kids and to get them off. And she said, now my kids are college age and, you know, one college age left. The others are have already graduated. And she said, I, I don't want to sit at home all day by myself with our dog um, when our kids no longer live at home. I'm an empty nester now. But she said, when they were at home, I was there every minute. I drove them to everything. I did everything with them and I didn't miss a minute of it. And so she said, I said, yeah, because I've been feeling a little adrift because I love what I'm doing here. It's actually fun 
to help the, the woman I was helping. Like it was just so fun to come in and get all of her stuff together and organize it and put it the way it was supposed to be and then kind of zip off. It was, it wasn't full time. I didn't have to be there every day. They didn't, they weren't looking for me. I just would kind of swoop in, rescue things for four hours and then leave. And she said, I want to encourage you to enjoy this time you have with your kids right now. She said, today you're going to go pick them up from school, right? I said, yep, I'm, I'm the fun bus. I pick them up in the minivan. And we, sometimes we head straight to Sonic for the finger sized ice cream cones. And then we head to the library and she said, enjoy it. She said, don't miss a minute mm. of it. She said, don't worry about your work. She said, you have time to actually have a full blown career when your yep. kids graduate from high school and go to college. She said, or you could even wait until after they're done with college. She said, you won't miss a thing. And I, I kind of, you know, I kind of like relaxed my shoulders. And she said, you've been worrying about this. I said, yeah, I have. I, I've been wondering if I'm wasting my time by not working because I, I, you know, I, I kind of feel like I need to have something that I'm doing that's important. She said, you're doing the most important thing with the kids and later you'll have a career. And she said, one day you're going to look back on this conversation. And she said, you're going to thank me. And I'm like, I, I was like, oh, I mean, you're telling the story now. So I guess that's true. Right. It's true. But I would hear her saying that to me sometimes when I would get a little stressed out when, you know, you're at a mom's group thing. And the power moms are standing around talking about their, you know, I just bought an Audi or, you know, we're going on a three week Disney vacation, you know, um, th that kind of stuff. And you're thinking, oh, we can't really afford to do that because I don't work. You know, my husband makes a good living, but if we want to go on a three week Disney vacation, we needed another income. Right. right. <laughs> and you're right. thinking I could be helping with that. And I would hear her voice saying, yeah, but you're picking up your kids after school. You know, your kids, you, you, you're their primary caregiver. And so I want to, I, I'm sharing that. It's sad that we even struggle yeah. with that feeling though, yeah. because we know how valuable this work is. And yet I mm -hmm. still have those feelings in those same situations where it's like, you're ashamed if you don't have a job because we're told in our society that our yep. job is what gives us our value and our identity. Yep. And it is not. And nope. I think and, and nowadays normalize just being a mom and recognizing we like we used to yeah. how much value that has to raise your so children valuable. and the importance of that role is. And as we see how kids are struggling yep. with the anxiety and depression and problems yep. that so many of my, my friends' kids have right now. And it's, it is so sad to see. So even though those friends of yours, yeah, they're going on a three week vacation to Disney. How happy are their children? Would their children rather have their mom home every day than yeah. get a three week vacation to kind of Which play? You can always figure that out. So what I, what I learned from that was, cause I would hear her voice kind of echoing. It was like a little whisper. You're there every day. Don't forget about the value of that. And there were times where we took, like we went to uh, Switzerland. My husband had to go for work and we all joined him. And it was an amazing trip. And I thought to myself, so there is an opportunity for us to do these amazing things, but it won't look the same as a family where both parents are working and you know there's that extra income. But in the end, how, so we went, we took our kids to Germany when they were small. It, and it was just, it just was the time that we could go. The kids don't remember that trip. We have beautiful pictures from it, but they don't remember it. And so there are things that we're doing for our kids that we're thinking this is so like, they have to have this birthday party or they have to have this trip to Disney when they're six. They don't remember that stuff, but they do remember the closeness of the relationship. They do value that. And I can tell you now that the kids are college age. Um, there is something that is so, it's palpable for me that I know them the way that I do. And that they will FaceTime me and the things that they say, like, I mean, I, I can't, I can't even, I can't even begin to explain 
the difference between a child who really knows their parents and what they will, what they'll tell you, what they've heard, they'll tell you the things that their professors will say that they'll come right to you and say, my professor said this. And I knew instantly, you, you know, they're like, I heard you say <laughs> in response in my brain, you were like, that's a lie from the pit of hell. <laughs> that kind of stuff that, you know, your kids, your kids get that, that stuff from you. And, and so I just, I hope that anyone who's listening today, who's kind of thinking, oh my gosh, you know, how can you possibly know what I'm supposed to do? I can't, I can't know what a stranger who's listening to this podcast can possibly do or should do. But I do know that if you have been given the gift of motherhood and you have one, two, three, five, ten, I mean, sky's the limit. You should have as many kids as you can. I am an evangelist for high birth rates among Americans. We are the best people on this planet and we should have as many kids as we can. Um, if you have kids and you've been blessed with kids, consider that to be your vocation until they're out of, of high school, at least. And the reason I say that now, I've been saying it for years, Lindsay, but now that there's the porno books on the shelves and they're teaching the kids LGBTQ theory at, you know, the, the five, six, seven years old, don't you want to be the one to know that and to maybe take your kid out of that district or to maybe go volunteer in that district to put a stop to it. You can't do that if you're working in the C-suite. And the other thing about the C-suite is there are no hugs and kisses in the C-suite. I mean, if, if you're doing it right, there's no hugging and kissing in the C-suite. There's no fat cheeks. There's no juicy thighs. There are no tiny feet there. There are no teeny, teensy little working hands there. Cause that's, that's the, the, the glory of motherhood. It's the squeaks this big, right. A, a hand that's literally the size of the bottom of a Coke bottle that actually works, that can pick stuff up. You don't get that in the C-suite. And there's also no, you know, sloppy kisses in the whispering in your ear, mommy, falling asleep on your shoulder, the smell of a freshly washed baby. There's none of that in the C-suite. And you can always land there. Like I, sometimes I think yeah. about the opportunities, the jobs I've turned down, Lindsay, the things that people have said, we'd like you to come to our organization and do so-and-so. And I'm thinking, are you sure it's Stacey Washington? Are you talking to me? Because I, I have no experience doing that. And they're like, but, but we know you're the person we want. And I turn it down it, to turn down those opportunities that I never thought would be mine because I didn't work in my career during my kids' years, during their, their growing up years. So the sky's the limit. This is America. Oh, 100%. Been, I mean, I will say that I felt, I feel pressure, you know, when I started looking for other jobs and I was out, you know, just kind of the opportunities and the job offers were just like beating down my door. I was shocked by how many opportunities yep. there are, especially in digital comms right now. So if you are looking for a career, please reach out. I would love to connect you with people who are really looking, but they really were pressuring me. They really want women in management roles and they really are trying to push women into these roles mm -hmm. because they're told that we're, oh, we're supposed to hire more women and we're supposed to promote them to leadership. When really I know a lot of very competent men who at the same time, you know, I'm texting them and saying, wow, I just got a job offer from this place and I just got a job offer from this place. Did you apply there? Or what, like, why don't you go work there? I don't want this job. You take this job. And they're like, they never called me back. I have a resume. You know, these are guys that have more impressive resumes than I do. And I'm the one getting the call back because they're, this company is trying to fill a quota or they want, you know, they want women in management. They don't want to hire yeah. another man when yeah. really, why not? Why not hire the best person for the job? I think it's honestly insulting to think, oh, am I yeah. really getting hired because I'm the best. And I think you're right. You, you were getting those opportunities. I was getting those opportunities because we're very good at what we do, but it is really, I think 
it's insulting to me to think that I'm also being chosen. Or I'm a little bit more attractive as a candidate because I'm a woman versus just my my skills. And so I didn't like that. I really, you know, as I was as I was looking for for opportunities, but also it was, you know, you can't get these this time back with your child. You can't get the time back with your babies. But also what we see happening in the schools, it's not just about the woke stuff, because if it was just the woke stuff, that's easy enough to combat. But it's the ideology where they're trying to keep they're trying to put separation between parents and their children and, mm-hmm. and, and inject this inherent mistrust. So as you're talking about your relationship with your children, the one word that I didn't hear you say that, that popped to my mind, too, was they trust you. They trust you. You have a strong family unit and and relationships that are built on trust. And that is so sacred. And I think in our society, we've normalized, oh, cutting school or like lying to your parents. And we almost make a joke of it. Like, oh, parents keep, you know, kids keep these secrets from their parents and parents keep keep secrets from their kids. And um, Planned Parenthood comes into the schools and says, hey, if you want birth control, you don't have to tell your parents, You, you know, and that starts a mindset of, oh, I need to, there's things that I need to lie to my parents about because they don't understand me, but this lady does that I've never met before. She, I can trust her with my, like, sex life, whatever. And that's the stuff that I, that, you know, at first it started with Planned Parenthood kind of doing that kind of thing, like normalizing lying to your parents or keeping secrets from them. And now we've thrown gasoline on the fire with all the trans stuff and everything else. So that when kids do see this stuff in their schools, the schools also normalized a culture of don't take this stuff home to your parents. This is, this is where the school is protecting you from your parents, which is, in insanity. And so because we've we've kind of created a society like that, I think that's all the more reason to be around your children as much as possible because you need to see what they're seeing, you need to be part of everything that they're that they're a part of because otherwise it just takes one person to influence your child in a positive or negative way. And you need to be there um, and set up a foundation for them where they know that they can come to you um, when you're when you're trying to prevent child abuse, the first thing that we tell kids, if you're ever in like a child abuse prevention training, um, you tell children, young children, an adult will never tell you to keep a secret from me. So if, right. if you're ever in a situation where someone doesn't matter who it is, doesn't matter how close they are, if they if they try to say we're going to do this thing and we're going to keep it a secret, you need to run and tell an adult right away. And that's a really important part of of abuse prevention and yet we're doing it in the schools and we're normalizing because we're not allowed to call there. them groomers right but, right, but right. it's happening because the parents aren't there and so mm-hmm. i don't i don't like when i'm talking about my experience with our kids i don't really i, I usually don't use the word trust because to me mm-hmm. the thing that you're creating is relationship relationships revolve around a center of trust um but if you're just shooting for trust you're missing the boat because you don't get trust outside of relationships. And so the mm-hmm. relationship that you cultivate with your child, it's, it's really about vulnerability and showing your child at age appropriate moments. There are these little moments with your children where you're sitting there and you know, the uncomfortable right thing to do is to tell them about the time that you made that mistake, the time that you got busted, you know, maybe cheating on a test or, or, you made a mistake and you need to share that with your child and Mm -hmm. successful parents share those moments. And if you share those moments with your child, then the trust that's built around that is your child thinks, well, I kind of thought you were perfect. 
I, I thought you never made any mistakes. You're my, you're a mom. Like I thought. And so then, the, then they realize, oh my gosh, moms are people too. My mom made mistakes when she was a kid. And that is an unbreakable bond that mm. a groomer cannot penetrate because your child will then say, then if I make a mistake and I tell you about it, you'll understand because you've made mistakes yourself. Mm-hmm. And once you have that, that is the thing that, and of course the groomers want to break that bond. Of course, people who have an ideological mission want to break the opportunity. They, in order for them to have the opportunity to instill that ideological viewpoint, they need to break the bond of trust or to prevent it from being established altogether. Cause it's very hard to break mm. once it's there. And so, you know, that you can't really do that from work you can't right. zoom into your child's life and create that kind of trust that happens when you're there right after school to pick them up. That happens when, you know, they, they've forgotten something at home. And I know it's really a, a, like there's a whole movement surrounding not taking your kids stuff to school when they forget it at home, because it, I know a kid who doesn't remember has a parent who always forget or what what's yeah. Yeah. That axiom. Yeah. That's what they say. But the fact is, is if your child is at school and they've forgotten their violin at home, and you're a stay-at-home mom, and they text you from school and say, I forgot my violin again. Oh, you can instill some responsibility later over the weekend, but get the violin right. to the school, right? So right. I, I've forgotten my lunch again. You get the lunch there. You instill some responsibility later over the next week or over the weekend. It's that kind of thing that moms can do. And sometimes it's a stay-at-home dad. I mean, I understand the dynamic. It's it's the parent who's staying home. Um, they can do those things and they can really foster that good relationship. And it's not about perfection. It's not about anyone like myself, whose kids are older, lecturing anybody. It's just about saying, hey, you know, there are some steps we can take and they're not impossible. The perfection of Instagram and, you know, a lot of these social media sites where women have these, you know, it's an 8,000 square foot house, everything in it is white and none of it's dirty, you know, and they have two white dogs and three kids with perfectly white teeth. And, you know, they, it, that's not real. But what is real is, you know, it's your 3000 square foot house and, you know, it, there's white furniture in it, but it has the stains around the edges and the dog is white, but his face is not because he hasn't been to the groomer in two months. And your, your life is real. People are smiling. Teeth may not be as white, but they're definitely smiling and they're spending a lot of time together. And some of that time they're spending together, they're fighting and arguing and they're still a good family. And so, mm. you know, it's not about perfection. It's about putting the time in. And the same level of time you devoted, you were talking about your career, Lindsay, in the beginning where you were kind of 24 seven and you were pouring yourself into it. That's the kind of devotion you have to have about being a mom. But nowadays, thanks to COVID, I mean, we have to find something good about it. We can actually work from home and still Mm -hmm. parent full time and um, kind of keep careers a little bit more on the trajectory. But in the end, if the only thing you ever do is you raise three kids or raise one child, whatever, you're still, in my opinion, you've CEO'd an entire household, brought a human mm-hmm. being from birth to actual adulthood. Right. I mean, it's an amazing- It's profound. It's, it's profound. profoundly much more meaningful than anything you're going to accomplish in your office, I assure you people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's the thing also is just that, that pressure that's on women- to do the things that they know aren't natural to them. They don't actually want to do. So um, Sidney Portier, uh, I don't know if you've ever read his book and now the title of his book escapes me, but there was a line in it that I absolutely love. And it's something happens when you walk with someone, something unspoken, either you match their pace or they match your pace. And so the, but, and then I think the next line was, um, 
whose pace have you adjusted to? Are you adjusting to the, the pace of the person you're walking with? And I feel like we, as all Americans, this is maybe not just a woman issue. I feel like we've adjusted to this pace of always on because of social media or perfection mm -hmm. because of social media or um, just the pressures of, of, you know, feeling like what our priorities are about wealth and achievement and what family should look like. Um, and we need to zoom out, stop matching the pace of the world and remember that we have truth and purpose and that we need to set our own pace. And if that means, you know, your family looks totally different from mine, but also what I, and again, great point about COVID, um, I think a lot of women were shocked by how much they loved staying at home. I, and yeah. I don't know why. It's like, I was it's like, not welcome, just welcome, ladies. Welcome to stay at home privilege because it really is right. a privilege not yes. to have to work. If you can afford to stay home or if you can make a work life balance working from home and also mothering, I recommend it highly because it, so you just want to enjoy your life and yeah. when you're well, your happiness, about your whole home's happiness. And the mm -hmm. way that it used to be, I had two mm -hmm. women that I went to church with growing up who were a little elderly. Um, and they, they went, they went to college and I was talking to them about, Oh, what, well, what was your major in college? And they both said, Oh, home ec. And I was like, home ec. But back in the day, home economics was a college major. And yep. people today would laugh at that and think, oh, that's so that's so Mona Lisa smile. That's so worthless. And I remember that scene in, in Mona Lisa smile. And people kind of it was like treated like a joke when they when the woman, you know, was teaching a class of home economics and saying, all right, ladies, this is a serious problem. Your husband's up for a promotion and he's bringing the boss mm -hmm. over for dinner. And he's just called you to let you know that he's inviting two more people. But you've only got a roast enough for four. What are you going to do? And the girls were giggling about it because they were like, oh, that's not a real problem. And of course, the takeaway for the viewer of the movie is supposed to be, oh, that's not a real problem. A real problem would oh, be like a. You know, but it is because if you and speaking of like being able to afford staying at home and the way that these the women that I talked to at church, they uh, helped their husband's careers by being the ones that took, you know, made the dinners and threw the parties, but also remembered the birthdays and helped their husband's get the promotions and do the things that were needed to do one as a general's wife, a military wife, and was very mm -hmm. successful at it. And it was back then, especially very helpful to have a, mm -hmm. a strong military wife that helped like that was the reason that you got the promotions. Yep. Um, not just because of your leadership, but because, and also because you didn't have anxiety, you weren't having yep. to iron your own shirts and make your own breakfast. Well, and raising your, your kids. own kids, raising your right. own kids. It's right. It's wife you can trust your wife. And yeah, so it was ever, the whole ecosystem is better and calmer when I can make lunch for my husband and he can come out and we can sit down at the table together and have like, that is what life is all about. And I'm hoping that those moments also then give him the space to thrive in his career so that it, that's, that is the design that I think we should remember used to work and, and could work again. It's not a matter of, oh, we're choosing who's going to be the breadwinner as if our contribution isn't also helping him make more overall as well. So I think those well, are things that we need to like you, really think about. Yeah. And you know, Lindsay, I, I have to say, so for the Sydney Portier quote, the thing that makes that so brilliant is over the course of a marriage, you will match your husband's pace at times. And then there are times where your husband will match your, your pace. We just experienced this over the past year where my husband actually being available during an illness in our family made all the difference in the world for us. And then when I was releasing my book back in March, the time before that, where we were finalizing things, 
it was the citations that I was like, I was literally deathly afraid of them. And my husband was like, those are so easy. And so he took them on and cranked out 152 citations from my book. And so I didn't have to worry if my book was properly cited because he simply said, he basically matched my pace in that moment where I was sprinting towards this book launch and self-publishing. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, I can sprint right along with you and I can crank out citations while we're running at this speed. And he did. And then like now he's way too busy to do it. And he kind of, he kind of let me know he, if there's another book, he probably won't be doing the citations and I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm like, I, now that I've seen you do it, I'm good. I'm not afraid of them anymore, but it, it's, it's not, it's not one-sided. And I'm making that point because I know there's someone who might be listening to us talking and saying, well, they're from the perspective of supporting the man, but my husband has supported me uh, uh, like 110% and doing radio and doing all of the different things that I've done. And it's been so weird because I don't, I don't have a training in this. I don't have a background in this where I would say, okay, this is the plan that we have. It was more like mm -hmm. when the kids are bigger and there's time to do something, you know, I'll, I'll try my hand at something. And I ended up trying it at radio and doing a lot with it. But my husband has been very supportive. And there've been times where I've said to him, mm, contract canceled on Christian radio this is your chance. If you hate me doing radio, you should say so now because I'm unemployed and I don't have to do it anymore. <laughs> he was like, are you kidding me, woman? You're going to keep doing this. You're, you're, this is a temporary situation. Don't worry about the fact that the can contract was canceled. You'll be back. Just keep doing what you're doing. And that kind of support was very similar to support I'd given him in the past, but it was reciprocated because he was matching my pace as the, the Sydney Poitier quote. So I just... I want people to understand that it's a two-way street and you and I are not advocating for a subservient role for women. Instead, we are saying, take hold of the power mm -hmm. that American women have, that many women in hundreds of countries, you know, I'd say dozens of countries around the world, they wish they had that option of working and raising a family or of making the choice to stay home for 12, 15 years, and then going back into the workforce and having such amazing options. And, um, you know, going into Mother's Day, I would say, you know, from the college age mom perspective and Lindsay's coming from the 11 month old, sweet baby cheeks perspective, there's so much opportunity for us to do whatever we want. And that's the beauty of it. And, and I'm hoping that moms and dads will say what they really want is for the mom to mother the kids um, during those very impactful primary years. And then, you know, the middle school years are the roughest years of a childhood. It's not the toddler years. The roughest years are seventh and eighth mm -hmm. grade. And if you can be there to help your child make it through those years, bullying, a lot of things going on, you know, with some kids are very adult during those years and they can be very harmful sexually. You want to be there to protect your child and to help them navigate those rough waters. And so I hope people are understanding where we're coming from. It's just that the mom, the mom knows best. The mom actually has that connection and can be that person that's there and that your career, it can flourish in ways you've never dreamed possible after you do that. And you want to do that. Like, that's what I'm saying to people. You want to do the thing, which is the mothering first. And then, you know, let the, let the career, it's going to grow up on its own. It's like a weed. It's going to hit you in the face at one point. Your career is coming back. It's going to do it. 100%. Totally agree. Well, I don't know. I think we solved a whole lot of world problems today, Lindsay Fifield. I hope so. I mean, again, I think that we really, I want to normalize 
making content, talking on social media about being a mom that, that just shows how profoundly wonderful it is and how much fun it is. And do I get frustrated? Is it hard? Yes, of course. But I, I feel like we wait those. It's kind of like Yelp reviews. People go and leave a Yelp review. If they have a complaint, they're not really rushing to Yelp to like praise it. But really, if right. we praise, that's what it really is. We and, and that scares a lot of people away from having kids. We need to stop doing that. Don't just complain about the hard parts of parenting. Really take time to recognize and talk about just, I mean, even hearing your child babbling is just, I, I didn't know I could feel these feelings of love and, and coming closer <laughs> together with my husband and, and how much that's like, it just even brought us together as, as a couple. I, it's profound. And so I think we need to normalize that and talk more about that and just really um, create a culture where we love not just mothers, because of course, on Mother's Day, we all get the praise of, oh, happy Mother's Day. I get it. But let's praise mothering and motherhood and and celebrate the value of it. And, and the best is yet to come. That's that's the thing I can say to you. I know. When it gets better when every I'm day. on Twitter reading your, you, you tweet out about dinners you've made, about recipes you've tried. Uh, one of my favorites is when you tweet out about your baby, the pictures of her. It's always so fun. And um, the best is yet to come. I thought I couldn't possibly enjoy anything more than when my kids were babies and then when they were toddlers. And I really enjoyed them in those little, it's like a glorious um, summertime when they're between the age of like five and 11, where they think you can do anything. They think you're taller than the house you live in. They think if you can cartwheel, they think you're an acrobat. You know, if, if you can drive, they think you're a, a race car driver. And then- they go into that kind of weird, it's like a little weird phase where they're tweens. And so they're, they're pretty sure you can't do those things. Like they've just realized my mom can't fly. My mom is not taller than our house, but she's still pretty amazing. And she still makes all of my favorite dishes and she makes me feel better when I'm hurt. And so they go through that and then they're teenagers and everyone warns you, the mean lady at Target who sees you with your baby will say, oh, enjoy her so much while you can because when she turns into a teenager, it's gonna be hell for you. Well, I'm telling you, Lindsay, it never happened. I didn't oh, have good. any hell in the teenage years. My teenagers were young adults and they were fun and they were still kids and they were fighting growing up. And they were, we, we watched all the Marvel movies together. We were Star Wars buffs together. We did all of the fun things and they talked to me and I realized this, this child is now turning into an adult and we even would argue about political things. They would ask me, why is, why is that the way that that is? And I would mm -hmm. explain it. And say, that makes no sense. And we'd argue about that. We had fun. And now they're college aged and mm -hmm. nothing is better than watching them like things they planned. Uh, our daughter just, she uh, texted me the other night I said, at midnight, 1220. She sends me this text and she says, mom, read this letter. I wrote myself four years ago. She was a freshman in college and the teach the professor said, write yourself write your senior self. She wrote herself. And I read the letter and she said, mom, I was pretty dead on. And I said, you know yourself a lot better than I did when I was your age. And now you can give, trust yourself that the next stage that you're going into with your education, that you will accomplish it. You don't have to feel as tentative about it. And also look at how God has worked these things out for you because of your hard work and perseverance. And he has basically given you a the things that you wanted, that you prayed for, look at how they've all worked out. And it was a really nice thing to see her do that. Like it's, it wasn't for me. The letter she wrote was for herself, but mm -hmm. 
it's a real maturity thing to see her kind of evaluating that. And she said uh, to the professor at the, the last line was prepare for a lot of tough questions. I love finding things out and learning in class. And I laughed at that because I thought, I don't know what she put that professor through, but they, they had a good, it was like a great exercise. And so, you know, the best is yet to come, Lindsay, the babyhood years, if I could, I'd, I'd give a king's ransom to spend an hour with each one of our kids as a baby again, but I don't have a king's ransom and it's impossible. So I just say, enjoy every minute of it. You're doing it right. You're spending every minute with her. Um, and you're going to, it's going to, it's like seeds that you plant. The harvest that you reach is all that you reap is almost so much greater than the seeds. You know, mm. this, if you Absolutely. plant, a seed, you don't get one plant, you get 20 plants back from the one seed. So Every minute is like a seed and every moment is like a seed and you're going to get so much back from it. And I just encourage people, if you're, if you're at that crossroads, if you happen to be listening to this podcast and you're at a crossroads in your career where you're thinking, should I pull back and spend more time with my kids? The answer is yes. Spend more time with the kids. Do it. And let that, that money will come in later. That career aspiration, those goals will come in later. Um, and you won't regret it. You'll be sitting back like me because now I'm like, okay, she's graduating from college, but there's no man involved here. When am I getting a grandkid? My husband's like, would you calm down? Would you calm down a minute? She is not even graduated yet. I'm like, but am I not supposed to be getting grandkids? Keep the keep the pressure on. Keep the pressure I on. Because I'm, I'm like, I got, what am I doing? All I have now left is the dog. He's the only small thing left. What do I do? Get that grand, get those grandbabies. Do it. Do it. <laughs> I got to get them. I'm, I'm yeah. working on it. So, but congratulations. I think you're, Thank I think you. the, the, the thing that you're doing by kind of publicizing you're, you're, it's like little mini commercials for motherhood and we kind need of. them bad. We need we them bad. <laughs> so keep it up. Absolutely. Lindsay. Thank you. I appreciate it. I will keep it up. I'll keep tweeting pictures of my baby. I really, oh. I mean, and like you said, reaping the harvest. I mean, the reason that you reaps, rep, rope, you reaped, such a great harvest was because, you know, the lady in Target that thought you were going to have bratty teenagers, you didn't have them because you <laughs> put those investments in. So congratulations for having the secret to not having bratty teenagers. I will definitely be listening to you and leaning on wisdom from, from parents like you as, as I continue on this journey and hopefully have yeah. many more babies to come. I, I don't think, I don't think your kids are going to be bratty teenagers. I mean, mm -mm. they weren't perfect, but I, I enjoyed it is what I mean. Yes. I, they yes. were love they your were children. Yeah, I loved them. I loved them as teenagers. And they know, they 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 always say, oh, I I know you're my biggest fan. That's our little joke. And I'm like, I am. I'm literally your big, like I'm your biggest fan. I'm of course. your biggest cheerleader. I'm waiting for you to come home. Whenever, when you FaceTime me, I've been waiting for you to FaceTime me. If you text me, I've been waiting for you to text me. I'm just sitting here waiting for you to do whatever you're going to do and then tell me about it. So um, oh. they know that. And kids who know that really, they want to, they want to text you. They're, like they want to yeah. give you something because you're just waiting on them. So, um, mm -hmm. well, I, I can't wait to have you back on to talk about your new venture. Um, that's going to be a really more. great episode. You're going to love it. I'll can't be able wait. to, I'll tell you a little bit more very, very soon, but I can't wait to launch. This is going to be a really incredible com company. I think people of faith, like just Americans are going to love this company. So I'll be back and we will talk all about it. Well, until then, happy mother's day, Lindsay Fifield. You're doing it right. And happy mother's day, Stacey. Thank you so much for joining me. Lindsay Fifield is a conservative digital strategist. Uh, an amazing mom and a really great communications professional. And I want to ask you one quick thing, please rate, 
the podcast. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast and you love it, give me a rating on Apple Podcasts. I'd love it if you do that. Until next time, familyvisionmedia.org and safetyontheright.com. God bless.